Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Hi, everybody. This is Art Middlecoff, and today we have a special interview episode of Charlotte Mason Poetry. And our topic today is Charlotte Mason and Your Heritage. And I have the privilege of discussing this topic with Amber Johnston. And Amber hosts a website called Heritage Mom, heritagemom.com. And uh, she recently spoke at the Charlotte Mason Inspired Homeschool Conference. So you may have heard her speak there. And um, she's a mother of four children. So I thought we could open up, Amber, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. First, how did you kind of first come across or hear about Charlotte Mason? Uh, well, I wish for the life of me, I could name the blog that I was reading late one night while nursing, you know, a new baby, but I, I don't recall the exact blog it was. I was reading so many things, but the blog pointed me to For the Children's Sake, the book by Susan Schaefer McCauley. And, you know, I dutifully went and ordered it and brought it in or it arrived at the house and I started reading it and it was, it was amazing. And I feel feel like it's a bit of a cliche because in Charlotte Mason world, everyone talks about this book and everyone recommends it. And I kind of, I want so badly to be countercultural there and be like, (laughs) oh, there was something else that inspired me. But I just, I mean, that's just what it was. It was that book. Yeah, and I mean it was the same same for me and so many people who who get the the taste of Charlotte Mason from that book. And so, was that with your firstborn, or had you already had uh, some of your children at that point? Yeah, that was I was nursing my third baby, so that was 2013, and I had two other little ones, and um, nobody school age though. And so, it's been a real blessing that I've had this information and been able to learn and read even as my children were flowing into school age. So in those early days, you read For the Children's Sake, Susan Schaefer Macaulay, and uh, you got this picture of what a Charlotte Mason education could be. In those early days, how would you kind of, what did you think the Charlotte Mason method was at that point? Like how, how would you have summarized it if you were going to tell a friend hey, I, I've discovered this new thing. How would you have described it? Oh, I think that at the time I was, oh, I was so full of wonder and excitement about it and that I remember thinking, wow, I'm going to see my little baby that I'm holding in my arms right now, not as a possession or something to do something with, something I got. I remember, you know, uh, Schaefer says in her book, you know, it's not a pet or something like a pet animal, but that you're holding a person on your knee. I can't remember where she said that, but she said, you're holding a person on your knee. And so to me, this was something that I was pursuing where I was going to see each of my children as this unique person. And at the same time, you know, these things all tend to align, right? These ideas. Our pastor at church was talking a lot at that time about Imago Day and the image of God. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, wow, here's something that's kind of help, going to help me with educating my children that aligns so well with what I'm thinking and reading and praying over right now with my relationship with the Lord. And I, I just felt right. That's wonderful. And that, that 
opening, that early section in the book where she talks about looking at the child on your knee as a person, such a profound page there. And when I do my presentations on the 20 principles and I talk about the first principle, I, I use that illustration because it's so powerful. So then you got excited about this and then you wanted to, I imagine at some point you wanted to start putting it into practice. So when, when you actually got serious about implementing the Charlotte Mason method in your home, did you kind of initially get hooked up with a particular book list or did you find that people identified the method with a particular set of, of curricula or resources? Well, for me at that time, you know, and, and I'm not saying there wasn't other information available. It's just, it must just be what I was reading at that time. It was Ambleside Online. Okay. And that was, you know, the kind of, that was the gold standard. And I knew there were some other things perhaps maybe not much that I can remember, but that was kind of, they were one in the same. If you're going yes. to do Charlotte Mason, you're going to do Ambleside. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a few others, but there's a lot. I mean, they all have a lot in common. I think there are certain books that you see in almost every one of the book lists. So as you kind of got familiar with that book list, what was your, what was your general reaction as you really started to dig into it? Well, first, and you know, I, this is not something I'm proud of, but it just will show growth for me. I really had not heard of any of those books. So uh -huh. beyond Shakespeare and the classics, the classic books, specifically the ones with little girls, The Secret Garden, Pollyanna, those were the books I grew up with. So other than that, I really hadn't heard of any of them. So I just ordered them. I ordered them all. I was super excited. And, you know, I started out on year one and we kind of took off from there. Um, I think that the good thing that came out of that is that we had a lovely year. There were so many wonderful finds there, things that I hadn't been familiar with that, that I, I started to love and a new language almost, it felt like, a literary language. Yeah. And I became more able to understand when people fawn over books. I had yes. been stuck with school world, you know, like... Ugh, textbooks. They're just boring. It's just something to get through. Not that I didn't read, but I just wasn't inspired by any reading, I guess. Yeah. And so I got a chance to be inspired by the books that were on the AO list. And so, so I felt good. Yeah. So it sounds like you discovered, yeah, Charlotte Mason talks about um, the literary form and how the literary form is the special means by which we're able to enter into knowledge and that uh, most textbooks lack that. And so it sounds like you discovered the, the power of the literary form in that first, uh, that first year. I really did. I really did. It was a gift. And then did, uh, did you continue to kind of fully feel 100% comfortable with, with the book list as you proceeded? Or was there any kind of, um, you know, was there any kind of turning point or did your perspective on the book list kind of evolve or mature over time? Well, I think that there, I, I started to realize that this book list and the books that we were reading didn't really have any, they didn't have characters that were like my family or, and I don't even mean my, my nuclear family, just my broader family, people like me. I didn't see us represented in the books, but then even beyond that, the circumstances in which people found themselves in the book, I wasn't seeing even a lot of those things. Um, but I still wasn't recognizing it as a major problem, to be honest. Um, I, 
it's everything's 2020 in hindsight, but I don't want to sit here today and make it seem like all these blaring alarms were going off in my head because that's not how it was. Um, so I said, well, I feel like there's a little something missing. I have these children in front of me and I, even as their mother, I'm not really feeling a relationship, an intimate relationship with these stories in these books. So let me make sure that when we're not doing school, and we're just doing our free reading thing, or I'm reading aloud to them at night or whatever, that I pull in some more of the books that I sense we need. So that's kind yeah. of where, that was my first stage. Yeah, okay, so tell me about, you know, when you talk about your nuclear family, your broader family, not seeing those represented in the books, and then looking to other books to kind of supplement, can you elaborate a bit about that? When you talk about your kind of broader family, can you, what, what do you mean by that? And what are some examples of things you started to do kind of in, in your free time to, to kind of balance out, I suppose, the, the, the culture and the stories and the people that you were bringing into your family? Yeah, so I'm African American or black. And I, you know, so there, that is on the first level, I just wasn't, we, we weren't having any books or stories that had black people in them. Like what were black people doing during this time that we're reading about? Where are the, the stories we were reading with little girls, they they weren't black, they had no black friends. And as you start to read into it, you know, good literature, it's, it has, they have these beautiful descriptions. And so there's nothing left to the imagination. You can't, I had someone tell me once, why don't you just teach your children to be creative and imagine themselves in the book? Well, these descriptions and her blonde hair and her crystal blue eyes. And I mean, unless I'm just going to rewrite the book, there just wasn't that room there. Um, and I think it was okay occasionally, but we weren't seeing it at all. And it also went beyond just the stories in the books, even things like hymns. And on one level, they are universal. What they're speaking of is, but there are hymns that I grew up with as a black child, a black woman, that when I enter into a predominantly black church, I hear these are the things that my grandmothers hummed while they were cooking cornbread. And I just, the hymn selections, I was like, I've never heard these songs. I started yeah. to wonder what was up with my existence, really. I mean, where have I been? Because I've been in the church my entire life deeply. I've never heard these songs. And then when we heard them and they may have a link or something, or I would hear people or see people on social media talking about it and, oh, this beautiful rendition. And I would click on it and I'm thinking, I have never really <laughs> heard a song song quite like that. So I yeah. said, oh, I recognize those words, but that's not that 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 version of it isn't a version that my people um would would sing. And so I just started doing things like playing music that was traditional for my family yeah. and bringing books with little brown characters in them. But again, this was all outside of our school day. Yeah, so it sounds like with the hymns, you know, you you talk about what you heard your you know your grandmother sing, and it sounds like there was a there was a heritage of of music and and uh, and of spirituality and of of expression that was part of who you are, and you wanted to be able to share that with your children. That's uh, that's what how I hear it. Is that right? Absolutely. And that's actually, it's funny that you say that word because that's what led to the name of my website, Heritage yeah. Mom. Because yeah. ultimately when I went to bed at night and it was quiet and I had no distractions, what I felt was missing was my heritage. Yeah. And it's not like this is just something, it's truly your heritage. It's not, it's not that you just 
got an interest at some point in a certain type of hymn and decided that you wanted to share that to those types of hymns with your children. These are things you inherited. This is a whole musical culture and legacy that you inherited, right? It's not something you chose. It's something that you received. Exactly. And so for me, it's everyone has kind of a set point. And uh, I'm a dietitian by trade. And I always start out telling, you know, your body has a set point and mm. you don't control that. And you can yeah. control these other things. But I feel like at our, in our, inside of our, our bodies, our souls, we have a set point and everything else is compared onto that. And so when I was first starting out, I was using someone else's set point. Yeah. And then I was trying to, to understand how it related to, to me. But as I grew, I started realizing that actually I just have a different set point. Like what's mm. normal or comfortable or life-giving to me is different and it is genuine. I didn't create it. I didn't read about it. I don't have a book. I don't even have a book to recommend. It's sometimes I get stuck there because people are like, well, what are you reading about that? I don't know. I just remember that day when I was outside picking greens with my grandmother and she was humming and I said, what are you humming? And she said, let me teach you the words so you'll always have them with you. Mm. I can't read about that somewhere. It just is. Or when I think of the way that my great grandparents, their house was, it was crooked. And so when I would walk on a certain part of the floor, that wood, wooden floor, and it would creak and things would kind of roll down a little bit if you dropped something there. And it would roll down to the couch where there was a quilt that my great grandmother had made. And so when I'm thinking like quilts, those are a part of me and my family, they, they are everywhere and they are made by us. And so it's little things like that. I can't even, it's hard to describe them. I can just recognize when they're not there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And, um, you know, those messages that, you know, you were, were explained to you here, here are these words or here are this tune. So you'll never forget it. That's, that's something that you're not going to find in a book. It's something that you hold. It's a legacy that was handed off to you in trust with the expectation that you would pass that on to your children. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's what it was. And at the time, I, of course, didn't recognize it as such because I was living it. But yes. when I had children, I realized that there was something that felt inauthentic about yeah. what I was delivering to them because I was not giving them what had been given to me. And for some reason that it just didn't feel good. So then did you, so then you, you tried to, it sounds like you tried to kind of then do a, a do kind of a hybrid approach where you're, you're following the, the curriculum because you want to do Charlotte Mason, um, but then you're doing a whole bunch of other stuff because you want to be true to what your, your inner, some kind of voice inside of you is telling you that you should do. So you're trying to kind of do these both tracks at the same time. Was there, was there a, turning point at which you felt like that wasn't really working and that you needed to do something different? Um, well, there were a couple things. So I was doing this patch job and two things that started to become a problem. I had uh, implemented what I lovingly and jokingly would call the black term. So I would do my three terms in proper CM style mm, because I wanted yeah. to be a proper Charlotte Mason yeah. mother. And yeah. then I added a fourth term called the black term. And during mm. the black term, we would sing black music and we would listen to black poets and read black books and have black characters and read about black history. So it's kind of mm. like February black history month, except it was a full term for us. Wow. And where the issue, it was beautiful. And yeah. in a way it worked for us in that moment. It was mm -hmm. a gateway 
for me. So I don't look down on that time, even though I want to laugh at myself now, and I do, but it really was a gateway to where I came through on the other side. At the moment, it worked, but what wasn't working was that I started really reading Charlotte Mason's volumes for myself. So mm -hmm. it's like I had been reading devotionals, which are great, but now I started reading the Bible. Yeah. So I had been reading what other people wrote about her stuff, and then I started reading her words. And one of the things that wasn't resonating with me with my, what I was doing was that we weren't resting. So hmm. because I had added this fourth term, that means that there really was no room for taking breaks between terms or slowing down or reading slowly. And because we had so much to get through so that we could get and finish our fourth term too. So we were schooling literally year round. Now I see year round, we school year round, but that's because we stretch out a normal amount of, of work or reading across a whole year. But I wasn't doing that. I was forcing in extra stuff so that every moment was full. And so I felt like, wow, am I really in my efforts to follow her principles, am I really though? Hmm. Or did I create another problem? So that was one issue. Yeah. So it sounds like you really had uh, a pressure here because you'd stated that you, you wanted to be like, you wanted to be a Charlotte Mason mom. So you wanted to make sure you did those three terms that everybody else was doing, covering the books that everybody else was covering. But then now all this, and, and you had this fourth term, the, the term where you focus on black history and black heritage, but then you looked at that composite picture and said, wait a minute, this actually doesn't line up with the principles that I'm seeing from Charlotte Mason because I'm not meant to be just running around the clock like every day, every year, not ever catching our breath or being able to enjoy the richness of life around us. So now you have this real tension between kind of what your conscience or your sense of responsibility to your children your sense of responsibility towards Charlotte Mason's principles as you're understanding them yourself, and then your sense of responsibility to kind of fit the, the, the norm or the expectation of what Charlotte Mason moms are supposed to be doing. So it sounds like there's a real tension uh, emerging. That's exactly what happened. And so I feel like at that point, what was really going through my mind is, is Charlotte Mason for me? Hmm. Is this something and to be honest and i want to be honest the question really was is charlotte mason for black families maybe this mm. isn't something that applies to black people or black mm. children families with black children and so that's where i started and and i could have walked away right then because i really mm -hmm. was leaning towards no it, it's not it's not something for me but what held me there longer was that i had what had originally attracted me to it was how rooted in the gospel and Christ, mm -hmm. her work was. And mm -hmm. I just couldn't, I was grappling with the fact that how could something that I agree is rooted in the word of God? And she's talking about the Holy Spirit being the supreme educator, the supreme teacher. How could that not be for me? Right. Like that is by definition, I am his and he's mine and that's for me. So right. I said, something then is not right. If I agree mm -hmm. that with this premise and I agree with this premise and somehow the conclusion I came to must be wrong and I couldn't find anyone who could help me fix it. So I went back to the volumes. Okay. And that's okay. And so looking in the volume, so it sounds like, I mean, as you kind of went looking in the volumes from that lens, did you find these, these gospel or uh, th these sort of um, theological Christian universals, did you find those in Charlotte Mason's writings? And did those continue to help you as a parent, even as you were wrestling with what to do with the curriculum? 
It did. And in fact, it, it was like when I read her words without anyone else layering on top of it, it's like she's talking to me. Mm-hmm. I feel that it's so applicable. And so, you know, when you're talking about um, a child, you know, the, the being born persons, and mm-hmm. I think about part of the reason why I was choosing to homeschool is because I couldn't bear dropping my children off somewhere where they, where someone might see them other than just that. So it was like she was addressing all of my biggest um, fears as a parent. And it was, it was sounding like music to my ears. Yeah. And so I was, <laughs> I was becoming more and more attracted. So I think originally I said, let me dig into this because this doesn't look like it's for me because it's something mm-hmm. I'm feeling uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. then the more I started reading it, the less uncomfortable or the more comfortable mm-hmm. I became. And I started yeah. thinking, not only is this not, not for me, this is totally for me. That's but what I, I realized that, that she, she set out some principles, but there was a responsibility that she called me to have. And mm-hmm. I didn't, it didn't come across to me in the beginning, reading other mm-hmm. people's things on blogs and sound bites, mm-hmm. the responsibility that she laid out as a mother, that's part of the Charlotte Mason education. You can't separate it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And so how is it, you know, you, you, you talked about the, you know, about looking into, you know, when, when you're doing the first couple of years and you looked at books and literature and you didn't see, you know, you, you didn't see yourself or your family in those books. And uh, you talked about hymns that sounded unfamiliar to you. And yet you're describing now that here's Charlotte Mason, who was from a different time, a different place, you know, a different culture. And yet when you, and yet you said it yourself, she's speaking directly to you. How, how can that be? What, why is it that Charlotte Mason was able to do that and to transcend that, that separation and to actually have you feel a sense of closeness or immediacy to the wisdom that she was sharing? Um, I have come to assume that because she didn't just pull these things out of thin air, that mm-hmm. she related them back to our Lord and Savior and what he okay. said. So when she says something, she relates it to education. I mean, that's really her gift, right? She took what he has given us and she helped us to be able to relate it to education. So when you read something that she says, I'm like, well, yeah, that's truth with a capital T because look over here in the word, he says this. She's saying, do not hinder. She didn't make that up. She didn't say, well, we shouldn't hinder the children. She's just taking what, our God gave us and she's helping us. And it's a very, it's wonderful help to see how it relates to, and I think she would say everything. And mm-hmm. specifically, here's how it relates to education as mm-hmm. you're educating your child, because it relates to everything. Yeah. Um, and I think on your website, you mentioned, I think you described yourself as, as someone who loves Jesus, if, if I'm not mistaken. And, that's right. And so as someone who loves Jesus and you're kind of now, fellowshipping with with a woman from Britain who also loves Jesus. And as you're looking into, you know, his words and his teaching in the gospel and what Jesus had to say about children and about how to bless them, you're both kind of together sharing that common love, that common worship and wanting to operate in a common way. And that sort of transcends time and culture, right? That's right. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. And I feel like that was my eureka moment. 
you know, what you just said, that was it. Where I was like, this is like, she is for me. Like if she was standing here right now, she would tell me I'm for you, Amber. Amen. 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 That's beautiful. And so now it sounds like what you're saying, you know, I I asked you earlier, what, what was your first perception of what the Charlotte Mason method was? And, um, you know, you said that you, you kind of, the initial understanding was, you know, the the book list or the the curriculum that everybody's using. That's that's Charlotte Mason. Like that's as good as you can get. Like the the more faithful you are to the particular curriculum, that's the more Charlotte Mason you are. But it sounds like now you would say it a little bit differently. It sounds like now you would characterize the Charlotte Mason method as something that puts a big responsibility on the mother to to do what to do to to do what what is the what is the responsibility that you have as a mother that you didn't recognize before well i would say that it the responsibility is to take the principles and mm-hmm. apply them to the needs and format of my family yeah. she cannot do that and she mm-hmm. knew she couldn't so she didn't try but yet we try you know, and, and that's not to, to the fault of anyone because I even am guilty of it sometimes because you have something that's working so well for you, you, mm-hmm. you want to share it with other people and we should, but when, when we start to take what's working so well for someone else and it becomes a new Bible for us mm-hmm. and we start feeling like then to be authentic or to be legitimate, we need to, that needs to work for my family as well as it does for someone else's. I think that's where the the danger, not that we shouldn't share, but that we feel tied to it. So I think the responsibility that I had left on the table was the responsibility of applying her principles in, in a way that made sense in my family. So I remember reading something from a 1928 parents review, and it said, Miss Mason left no recipes behind her. Mm. She believed in thinking persons. Therefore, she bequeathed certain principles based upon truth itself. Every parent and teacher is free to apply these principles in ever fresh practice according as new needs and difficulties arise. That's what I hadn't been doing. Yeah. Okay, great. Can you share? So, so what started to happen then? You know, what, what did you do with that, you know, with that newfound kind of recommitment to Charlotte Mason and then to look for principles and not recipes? Where, where did that take you? Okay. I think the first thing for me was I replaced a big book, not a little book, a, a big, a spine, a big history book that everybody else was using. Everyone mm. I knew and replacing that or choosing not to use that felt like this big hairy deal to me mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. i kind of shrug my shoulders at it but i'm remembering where i was at that moment i was wrestling with it and it felt hard it felt scary because it felt like maybe i was going to miss out on conversations that were happening online with other moms mm-hmm. who were all doing that and kind of lockstep now i wouldn't be able to really participate it felt like i was potentially risking that my children wouldn't gain gain whatever ideas were in that book that everyone else seemed to want and felt were, was important. And I had to give myself permission to really stand on my foundation of respecting my child as a person. And as I started thinking through that, I came from under that heavy weight of feeling that somehow, I guess that I was a less legitimate Charlotte Masoner than my neighbor who might be reading a different set of books. I felt like these books that someone else was reading had distinction. And I thought, where did that distinction come from? Who, who, who gave the seal of approval on those books to say that this is true Charlotte Mason? 
And I said, well, whose seal of, whose approval am I seeking? And I thought, Mm. I really want Charlotte Mason to say, well done, Amber, you did a good Mm -hmm. job of interpreting my principles. But then I thought, Mm. really, I want to hear well done, but who is it that I really want to hear that from? And I thought, well, I want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant, that you weren't pushing something on a child that, that I gave you because you you wanted to feel like you were doing such a great job and check mm-hmm. all the boxes so you ignored mm-hmm. the person I put before you in mm-hmm. your effort to make yourself feel good about what you were doing and so I said that's not what I want and at that moment I think that's where my strength came and I literally felt that crushing pressure lift from me I think that there is such a temptation that all parents feel to want to get credit and appreciation for what they're doing with their children. And I think that that extends especially to homeschool parents and uh, wanting to kind of get that affirmation to have people say, wow, you're doing a great job. You're using the right books. You're doing the right stuff. And I think the more that we yield to that temptation, the more we turn our homeschooling into something we're doing for ourselves and not for our children. And I think we have to let go of that that reputation aspect. We have to let go of that desire to hear the affirmation of the other parents around us. And we have to set that aside and realize that the purpose of this journey is for our children and it's not for us. And if doing the right thing for our children means that some people might question or or might lower our status in some particular community, you know, that's the sacrifice we have to make. I mean, that's how I see it. I think that you're so right. And I think part of what I feel like my message that I want to get to mothers though, is to be able to be that mom who tells you that it's okay. Because Mm, I didn't have, I didn't have anyone saying that and I I made it. It's not that you can't, but man, would it have been nice for someone to say it's okay. Okay. That's great. Okay. Beautiful. So you talked about replacing the big history book and that's significant in the Charlotte Mason model because, uh, you know, Charlotte Mason indicates that it's the spine on which so many other things are kind of attached. So uh, that's a big move to kind of change the history. So did you change kind of, was it a focus on American history or British history? Or can you tell us a little bit about what, what change you made in this, in this kind of history spine? It was the decision to launch my children's education on a study of, of British history. Hmm. I, and I wanted to, mind you. So I know some people are like, oh, I don't care. Like, I don't feel like I need to follow it to the law. And I think that's great because it seems like they walk in with feeling free. I didn't feel that way. I wanted to do all the things, but I just couldn't shake the feeling that that was not a good move for me. (laughs) For my babies, I couldn't understand why. I couldn't get any, I couldn't find something that I could hold on to that would help me explain why I would do that. You didn't feel like starting with British history was the right place for you to start with your children and you wanted to use something else. That's right. And And so so, what did you, and and where did you go? Where did, if not, if not British history, what did you use as your starting point? Well, I started here with the United States. I felt like I'm, when I think of, I mean, they were so young too. I mean, we're talking, right? Six years old, right? Six, seven years old. And I'm thinking as I'm, we're just getting started here. What are the things that I want to tell you about so much? What are the stories that I'm passionate about? That's another thing. I mean, there it's for the child, but as the teacher, I don't want to walk in teaching you something that I don't think is important right now. That's fake. And I'm, it's going to probably show through. So I wanted to teach what I really truly thought was important for them right now. And for me, where we were, I felt like America, America, Mm -hmm. the beautiful. That's Mm -hmm. what it Mm -hmm. felt like. 
you know, America is not Britain, right? I mean, America is, uh, America is a new thing that's, that's uh, created from a very, very wide stream of many different, many different cultures and inputs from other parts of the world. Did you, did you see some of that as you kind of taught American history? Did, did some of that come across? Well, I mean, even then, you know, so it was, there were these steps. So the first step was choosing to focus on American history. And then within that, most of the books that I found then still were focused on the descendants of European people and their moving and coming and going in, within America. And so still I was like, oh, there it is again. We're, it's just another, this book is just a, it's just still European history started at a later date and moved over to a different piece of land. And so I thought to myself, what do I have to define this? This is where Charlotte challenges us, right? You can't come into this and say that you're just going to hang out, you know, like, Hey, I'm just going to do this thing, whatever it, she makes you think. And so I had to wrestle with that. And where I came up with it is when I think of America, I'm American. I should have an opinion. When I think of America, who do I think of? I think it does include the colonists who came and built and did things, but what about the people who were already here? I feel like they have to have a huge role in this conversation and I'm having with my children. And then I think about what about me? How did I get here? What about my descendants? Why do I look the way I look? There's a reason and I need to explore that. I need to tell my children about that. And then I started thinking, what would, if I just spent time talking about everyone who passed through Ellis Island or on the West Coast and all of those people that have come here, aren't they part of America? And I thought, well, that's what makes us who we are. And around, uh, around this time, I started planning travel. We, we like to world school where we go and travel internationally with the single focus of being able to show the children how different people are in different parts of the world and have an appreciation for that. And one thing I noticed is when we went to visit other countries, in a lot of countries, everyone looks the same. So one of our trips, we went, literally people were asking and stopping us on the street to take pictures of us. It was very oh unsettling, but I didn't, wow. I didn't know what else to do. I'm like, okay, because they had never seen anyone like us before. This was mind boggling. Mm. Everyone wow. there looks the same. And the reason I couldn't accept it or couldn't, I was so shocked because in America, nothing looks like that. We are so colorful in every yes. way, including yes. white. And so I thought to myself, America is its people. That's mm. what it is. It's the people who have walked on this land, no matter where they came from. And I said, that's how I want to approach history. And for me, the important distinction was I felt it wasn't an elimination of anything that anyone else had been talking about. It was moving, making room oh, to tell okay. the whole story. Yeah. So it's the whole story. It's a completeness. Yeah. It's not that's a, right. it's not taking things out of the story. It's making no. sure that the story is complete and it's adding more and more streams to it to reflect the reality of, of America and its that's history right. and who we are today. That's right. You know, that it's interesting because I can imagine some people thinking that this whole question of British history, you know, is kind of this hill to die on, that it's sort of integral to Charlotte Mason, that like, if you're going to do Charlotte Mason, that ha that means you have to do British history. But I, I think that but uh, when you describe, um, you know, your, your heritage and you're wanting to share that with your children, you know, Charlotte Mason had her heritage and she loved the British, you know, she loved her country. She was very patriotic and she wanted to pass that heritage on to 
the children of Britain, um, but not necessarily to export that to the whole world. And uh, so I think we need to separate the universal principles of, of Charlotte Mason's philosophy, um, which is based on gospel truths and things about human beings that are universal everywhere. And we need to separate that from choices that she made that were based on her desire to honor her own heritage, which in many cases is different from ours. And I think this tension or this, this, this failure to make that distinction um, I think is ultimately part of why we don't have a PNEU today. So Charlotte Mason established the Parents National Educational Union. And um, many people have asked, well, what happened to it? And if the Charlotte Mason method is so great, why is the PNEU gone? And I found this quote when I was at the, uh, the Armit Museum in Ambleside. I was looking at some of the very late documents when the, the PNEU got smaller and smaller and right before they they merged into another education group and ceased to be. The last uh, chairman of the PNEU, he wrote this point. He said, I remain convinced that Charlotte Mason was absolutely right in her insistence that all educational thinking should start with the potential and needs of the child. She had a high view of British culture, which is one thing I find myself very comfortable with. However, while I agree that a study of British history is an invaluable part of education, Nonetheless, it is difficult to see what sort of history one should teach to a Finnish child attending a PNEU school in South Korea. I um, love that. <laughs> isn't that great? Every so, time I see it, yeah, it makes me just, it makes me chuckle. <laughs> right. So, uh, so what would you, you know, what is the, you know, what would you, if you could meet this gentleman who wrote those words and you would say, hey, you know, here's, what would you, what, what sort of history should a, a child, a Finnish child growing up in South Korea, what, what advice would you give to a parent homeschooling in that setting? Well, for me, I would say one, to remember the long view, right? There's going to be so many elements, there will be so many elements of history that that child can learn within the years of education. But I feel you would start with Finland yeah, because that's, that's right. the, that's, that is who that child is. You, yes. the, you don't start on the, the, the land on which they stand, but with the person. And when yes. we come back to the principles, you know, there, there was uh, that same article I quoted earlier that he talks about, you have to return to the principles. Mm -hmm. Every time you have a question, that was what the point of the article is. Someone has a question. What should we do in this case? Miss Mason, what should we do in this case? What should we do? And then he said, she never just flat out answered the question. She right. always pointed them back to the principle and then filtered the question through there to arrive at the answer. And I think that in the quote you just gave, he didn't filter that his conclusion back through the principle and through the principles. And the principles would point us that that Finnish child, no matter where they are, should start with Finland, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you can imagine that, you know, that mother of that child in South Korea getting together with other homeschool parents who they're all studying the history of South Korea. And they're like, well, wait a minute, why are you studying Finland? You know, you're here in South Korea. Um, but, uh, but I think you would be, you know, Amber, you would be that voice to tell that mom, hey, you know, don't forget who you are. That's it's right. okay. It's okay to do something different from what all the other people around you are doing. It's okay to make sure that your memories of your heritage, your past, and your identity is passed on to your child. I think, yeah. And not only is it okay, I would say you have a responsibility to do that. Yeah. And not just only considering what everyone around you is doing, you can also reconsider what you experienced. Because I even mm. can say, like, my children are getting a much different 
view um, of education, not just because we're at home, but because I'm following Charlotte Mason's principles, than what I even received as a child. And I, and I, I could say I was a black child and I didn't learn this stuff about black people. I mean, mm. so why would my kid need to learn that? And mm. I would say, well, I, my responsibility is to do right, not to do what I did, what was done uh, with me, you know? Beautiful. Okay. That's great. That's a really important perspective. I think you're bringing out because what you're not saying is you're not trying to just create kind of a carbon copy of yourself or say, well, I did things this way. So then when I grew up, so therefore my children need to do the things the same exact way. I think what, what you're saying is that there, there's an ability to enrich. There's an ability to, to take what, what you've received, not just, like you said, from your nuclear family, but from your broader family, to take this whole culture and go deeper into it um, and broader um, than you ever had the opportunity and to do that with your children. That's right. And those, that's, that part right there to me is the gift because what you just described, that's what makes my heart sing. And this wasn't about me. This path or journey wasn't about me. But the beautiful thing is, look at all of the delights that I get to pick up along the way while feeding my children. So yes. I think it's, it's, it's just so beautiful. That's wonderful. And, and one thing I, I noticed about this quote from the, that final PNEU chairman was his first sentence kind of echoes exactly what you said. You know, he said, I remain convinced that Charlotte Mason was absolutely right in her insistence that all educational thinking should start with the potential and needs of the child. And that's what you talk about, you know, principle one, children are born persons. So there's that, there's that sort of universal draw um, people who know truth and people who recognize the truth of the gospel are just, you know, they read Susan Schaefer Macaulay's book, they're drawn to the inherent beauty of these principles. But then when we get, we kind of get tripped up with exactly what caused him to get tripped up. He's like, well, there's this high view of British culture that I don't think is universal. So how do we deal with this idea of universals and particulars? And, uh, and I think that the answer is exactly what you're articulating. The, the, there is a, a certain universal in the particulars, and that is you need to embrace the particulars of who you are. That's it. Cherish the particulars of who you are. And, uh, and, it, and it's not in a narrow sense, because of course, um, you know, we learn foreign languages and we learn about other cultures. I, I guess one thing I'm curious about is um, how, how have you thought about foreign language in, in your family? Well, for us, you know, again, when, when I wasn't thinking of the principles, I was just feeling like all the languages in the world are available to me. I could just pick one. What, which one do I want to do? I mean, what sounds cool? What sounds interesting? But when I went back to the principles, why did she want us to learn a foreign language? And it, the word that stuck out to me or that I, you know, the word I took away from it, not that she said this, but what I took away from it was brotherhood and sisterhood. That's right. That's right. And so when I think of brotherhood, then I thought, well, what language then? It just seemed to me, for me, it felt that it would be Spanish for me and where I yeah. am. And it's yeah. not just because I'm an American and, and Spanish speaking countries are close to us. That's one reason, but also a micro me, the micro me, Amber specifically, where I'm from, I'm from a suburb of Chicago and I grew up with a lot of Spanish speaking people. And that is a part of who I am. And so I think these are a part of the people that I was around and the connections that I made and the ideas that I had that were formulated. And so it's not a departure for me to say, well, let me 
dig in, let me go deeper in that. And I would say that there could be reasons for someone to not pick Spanish. Because if I was German, if my, my children's grandmother spoke German and their family and our family, and I want them to be able to communicate with their family, their relatives, their friends, and our people, I could totally have a reason for that. I just don't. So for right. me and my family, it made sense where we live, the life we had, the life I lived before I was a parent to, do, to choose Spanish. Yeah. And so here again, we, we see that universal and the particular. So the universal is this idea that we should learn other languages because of what you said, brotherhood. We should learn other languages so that we can communicate with people who are outside of our you know, language circle. But then there's the particular, which is, well, what language to learn? And I think where we run into trouble with Charlotte Mason and where we, we actually do a disservice to the method is when we start to try to turn the particulars into universals. So I lead groups that, um, of men that read the, the six volumes. I've taken groups of men through all six volumes twice now. And uh, you, we often see, and there's questions come up when Charlotte Mason talks about French and uh, seems to, to kind of put French on a pedestal as the foreign language that, that should be learned. And I think that a lot of families in America can think, well, if you're really doing Charlotte Mason, you're going to be studying French. But I think that that's an error because I think that, that is, uh, that's, that's not properly, that's trying to turn the particular into a universal. And you just gave so many good reasons for why one family might choose Spanish, another might choose German, another might choose Russian, um, you know, another might choose Arabic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that that's the important thing. And one, something that's really, I guess it's just been on my heart lately, right? I don't know if my mind space is clear with the whole, I don't have anyone in diapers, I'm not nursing. I just have all these thoughts flooding me lately. And one of them is that as moms, I feel like we have a responsibility when another mom tells us that they're studying Russian or Arabic or whatever. I always like to know why, like, how did you arrive at that? But I feel like we have a responsibility to say, good for you. Amen. Good for that's you. right. That's right. And I, I, I do see sometimes that that might be missing a little bit in our yes. community culture, our Charlotte Mason community culture. And I would like to see that where we can look at each other and say, wow, I love how you are making a choice to reflect the needs of your family. Good for yes. you. Yes, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And um, I also participated in the Charlotte Mason Inspired Online Conference. And one of the things that I called out, I was talking about um, Bible lessons. And one of the things that I really called out was to say that, you know, there were certain Bible commentary type lesson books that Charlotte Mason, you know, assigned to, to be in use with Bible lessons. But those are not necessarily the books that we should be using today. And I really made a call to say we need to, we need to have an affirming conversation about what resources we should be using. Again, let's not latch on to the particulars and try to universalize the particulars. Let's try to dig deeper and understand what were the universal principles that Charlotte Mason was after. And then let's, let's make the, the kind of the new norm of what is, what, what is the most faithful Charlotte Mason implementation. It's one that honors the universals in your context in the right way and does so in an affirmed way. And, uh, and, it, and it sounds like you want to affirm that family that chose Arabic. And, uh, and, I, and I want to do the same. And I think that we should, you know, I think all who are listening should, should reflect on how they can be part of that, that affirmation as well. That's right. 
So do you, maybe you can talk about, are there other, you know, have you, do you approach, so, so you talked about history and you're taking a different approach to history. How about picture study, music appreciation, physical education, handicrafts, you know, are those areas that you have, that you're doing things maybe differently now than how you set out? So we pursue all of those areas. And um, I think that for me, it's a mixture of, um, maybe I'll say traditional, uh, what's seen as being traditional. And then I put my special sauce in it. That's what I call it, my special sauce. And so for us, a year of picture study, for some terms, for one or two terms, we will be aligned with probably what a lot of other people around us are doing. Mm -hmm. Why? Because those are important. And a lot of that is, I consider, I consider myself bicultural. So um, I'm not biracial necessarily, but I'm bicultural and yeah. that I have, um, I'm American and fully invested in this culture. I, I, so I want to do the, all the American things, but I also have an African heritage and that, that uh, necessitates that I pull in some other things. So we may do one or two terms of a traditional artist that everyone else is doing, but then I'm mm-hmm. going to shake it up term three, mm-hmm. it's going to be a black dude, or mm-hmm. it's going to be somebody that, you know, I, that it may not be a black artist, but it might be someone who painted black or brown people mm-hmm. in a different mm-hmm. way. And I feel mm-hmm. like you can find that in so many, I was looking at a Rembrandt a couple mm-hmm. days ago. I mm. wasn't just doing this on my own as a hobby. It was for a project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was, it was a picture he painted of two black men. And so if I'm going to to be studying him with my children, I'm going to make sure that that's one of the pictures that we pull in. See, it doesn't always have to be the way people think like, well, there was no black artist during that time. Well, who, what, what, maybe there was someone that was painting something, or maybe it was someone who was painting a scene that is familiar to black people. You know, it could, I don't know. There's so many different ways you can do it, but yes, I address it in picture study. Definitely. I already talked about hymns, you know, but I make sure my kids hear hymns in different ways. And one of the things we like to do is to take a hymn and we listen to it in a more of a, I would say a choral way that you would hear. And, you know, of course I'm making these vast stereotypes, no comments here on, (laughs) don't blast me on direct message guys, but I'm just saying that you would see more often in a traditionally white church, the way Mm -hmm. they would sing it. And then Mm -hmm. we'll listen to the same song in the way that you would hear it at a more traditionally black church. And Mm -hmm. I want the children to see that you hear the words, they're universal. They Mm -hmm. transcend. Both of these people are singing the same words of praise and worship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but they're singing them in a different way. And that is where the heritage and the culture comes in. So they understand it. And it's kind of fun in a way to hear all that. With poetry, it's the same thing. We have the, you know, book of favorite poems and we did read Robert Louis Stevenson and yes, Christina Rossetti and yes, Emily Dickinson. My children can recite all of them but also Langston Hughes, okay? And so we, we may spend a term on that. And, and so it's, it's integrated in, right? So yeah. I dropped my fourth term. I don't have a fourth black term. Oh, now it's just, it, it just is. It's like me, I'm American, I'm African-American and I just am. I'm all of those things. So many wonderful things that, that you just shared there. I think um, one thing that I find very, very lovely in what you're saying is that I, I don't hear from you like an, a narrowness. You know, I hear you saying, hey, we're reading Emily Dickinson and we're looking at Rembrandt. But what I hear is an expansiveness. 
And it's so refreshing to hear because if there's anything that Charlotte Mason is associated with, it's this idea of a liberal education. It's, it's not a no, not, it, it's not a no, let's not do that. It's a yes, let's also do, you know, it's expansive. And it's so inspiring to hear you talk about that. And um, you also talk about how even if you choose a Rembrandt, maybe not every family is going to do the exact same paintings. So maybe not every family is going to do, you know, the, the six paintings that show up in the you know, picture portfolio that you get from, you know, simply Charlotte Mason, you know, maybe one family will choose a different painting for a particular reason. And, uh, and we should affirm families that choose that. And then your, your example of the hymns and different ways that they're sung. The, the wonderful thing about it is that both the kind of traditional, you know, white church versus the way it might be sung in a black church. The, 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 the wonderful thing about it is that both styles are beautiful. Yeah. Right. Both, yeah. there's, a be- there's a beauty to both styles. And one of the things that I've had to wrestle with is, um, you know, I've had this kind of sense from wanting to kind of, you know, Charlotte Mason has encouraged me to, to look for, you know, the highest forms of beauty. And so in music, I've wanted to, you know, really seek out the best and the best and the best classical music and so on to the point of um, almost wanting to sort of put down other forms of music. And, um, you know, I met somebody on an airplane, actually, who, who I was talking through this, and this person really challenged me to, uh, to look at, to recognize the beauty in, you know, not Bach and Beethoven are not the only people who ever created musical beauty. There's other kinds of beauty that come from, uh, from, from creators of music, um, and, uh, and that beauty should be, should be cherished and revered and shouldn't be put on some kind of second level. You know, it's so funny to hear you say this because one thing that has really stuck with me over the years, uh, I was online years ago and there were, we were in a group, I don't know, a Facebook group or something where moms that were all using the same hymns for that year were talking about them. And one mom said, I just, the curriculum company had included a link to a, to a song a style it's being sung in a style that's like traditional black church style and i just remember being so delighted that they had shared that link i just i don't know i just Mm. felt so seen but Mm. when i came into this group she said oh i hate that link it's so Mm. it's hard that version it's horrible i hate it my kids hate it it's hard to sing along to it i hate how they hold a word and sing a bunch of different notes all on that same word and I thought, oh, that hurt. And then oh. I wanted, I, and I'm, the reason I haven't let that go is because I wish that I had responded, not in anger, because I wasn't angry, but I wish that I had taken that opportunity to explain to her what your ears hear as clunky and yucky, my ears hear as familiar beauty. So that that person took that note and went on and on and on and on and with it, it makes me want to stand up and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Mm. And so that we come to an understanding that there is no set point for these things. We feel that what we learned and the way we learned it is what is. But what we don't realize is, you know, I quoted her the other day and I don't have it in front of me, but when Charlotte Mason said, and everyone has their things, but with a difference, right? So what we think is normal, it doesn't mean that it's universally normal or what we consider beautiful. And so don't we want our children to hear beauty through the ears and see beauty through the eyes of their fellow man? Because that's actually what's going to build the bridges. 
That's what creates mm. love. You know, that I can come to your house and eat your grandmother's food that she made from whatever country she's from. I don't know about that. It's not the best food I would choose, but it makes me love your grandma because I got a chance to experience something that she loved. Wow. That, what a, that's, I thank you. I really appreciate you sharing that story. And, and I think that that actually brings out another lesson that I think we should all really take to heart is that, um, you know, the, the focus, you know, the real focus of our topic today has been around how, how, do you, how do you reflect your heritage in your Charlotte Mason education? But I think that there's a second lesson here for all of us, which is how do we affirm each other's heritage? How, how do we make sure that when somebody shares a link in, of music and it doesn't sound the way we like it, that we don't sort of denigrate that, that style or that tradition? Um, but that we appreciate beauty in all of its different forms and that we appreciate the art produced by people who may sound or look different from, from we do. And I think that's a challenge every single one of us really needs to take to heart. Oh, it's so true. I know. And, and, I, and I'm still there too, which is important. You know, when I say these things, I never want someone to feel like I've arrived and now I'm yes. looking back and telling everyone else what they should do to be like me. Oh, I'm still there. Yeah. I'm still there. I've done a really good job on providing mirrors for my children, but my windows are still a bit foggy. I'm still trying to make sure that I am presenting their sisters and brothers in Christ and, and not in Christ in a way that they can see who else they're sharing this world with. And, yeah, and I think, and I'm not there. And I don't think any of us have arrived. And I think that there's a tendency to for people to self-declare that they've arrived when they haven't, you know, and so let's just all be honest, you know, we haven't all arrived. And so it's an area that we all continually need to check our prejudices and check our closed mindedness and our narrowness. And we all need to acknowledge it and own it and repent of it and really continue to become more and more accepting and appreciative of different people, forms of beauty, forms of expression, and so on. And, and I think you're helping me and others to, to do that faithfully. So let me, so we talked about living languages like French and Spanish and German. Let's, um, let's shift gears now a bit and let's talk about classical languages. So Latin um, is something that Charlotte Mason definitely called out by name and was used in the PNEU schools. And, uh, you know, the purpose of teaching Latin was certainly not brotherhood because there's nobody speaking Latin for us to get to know. So what are your thoughts on, on Latin? Is that something you're planning on incorporating in your homeschool? So my, this is just a really funny time for you to be asking me this because my oldest is going into fifth grade in the fall. And I had always thought, yes, we're going to do Latin in fifth grade because that's what we do. Um, but then as I'm in planning season right now, I'm going to tell you it's not on my schedule for hmm. the, for next year. It's not. Hmm. And hmm. it's something that, you know, I, even now I'm like, oh, everyone's going to hear me say that. See, I still struggle with these things. Yes, but the, yes. truth, the truth is that I now have a lens of I don't put anything on the schedule without a reason. I have to have a reason. And I just don't care who else is doing it because I have to have a reason. And for me, I couldn't figure out a reason. I don't think it's harmful. So if 
if, if, even if the reason was that I love it, I just love Latin and I want to share my passion with my child. That could be a reason, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't love it. I don't have a passion for it. And then I couldn't find another reason. Now here's what I arrived at. One reason that was important to me was that I want my children to be prepared to move on to higher education if that's what they choose to do. And I think that in order to do well on parts of the SAT, they'll need those Latin roots and stems. And I think prefixes and suffixes, I think will be very helpful. But you know what? I got those down when I was preparing for the SAT in about Mm -hmm. eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I studied, I got them, I studied them, I did it. It was fine. And it was actually really interesting, but it took me about eight weeks, a little bit before I took the SAT and I went on to college and I did a great job. So mm-hmm. I thought that's not a reason for me to spend my child's fifth grade year studying Latin, the mm-hmm. reason that I just gave. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes so much sense. And I think that um, if there's one justification for Latin that I think is the most uh, ironic of all, it's... it's um, people who would say, well, you need to study Latin because it will help you do better on the SAT. To me, that is like the antithesis. Uh, I mean, if there's one thing that comes across when you read Charlotte Mason's writings, it's don't teach to the test. Yeah. If, if, you, if you're going to teach Latin, teach Latin because of the inherent value of the knowledge that's being taught. And if you don't see the inherent worth and if you're not passionate about it as a teacher and as a family, then don't because it's not going to be living then. It has to be living. That's right. And, and see, some and, people, for some families, that will be. You know what I'm saying? You see, there you go with the, that we have this thing absolutely. where it depends, right? Because I've met some families where they are all into it and they want to be able, these children want to be able to read the things that their father can read in Latin. Yes. And yes. for them, I'm just like, it makes so much sense for them to do it. And it, it excites me when I see them and I'm, I want to give a high five, but that's yeah. just not me. That's not more, that's, I'm not, we don't have those same circumstances. And so since I couldn't come up with a reason other than the one, you know, the SAT thing that I'm like, yeah, but I, I got that down in a few weeks right before I took the test. It was fine. Um, I, I couldn't come up with any other reason for me then therefore I couldn't put it on the schedule. You have to feel good about the reason for it. And if you're just checking a box, then you teach your children to just check a box. And that's not what's, that's not what, nobody got excited about Susan Schaefer McCulley's for the children's sake because it gave them a new checklist. Yes, it's that. And also, I I also ran it against another principle and, and another, I guess, part of what Charlotte Mason talks about and the children having free time right? To pursue, to think, to be outside, to do that. That was going to take away from that, right? So everything I put on the schedule takes away from this other important thing. And so that was another hurdle. I think when I think of what I'm going to do, I can't just say we're going to sit here and study things just to be studying them. Because every time I add something to our schedule, I'm taking something away that Charlotte Mason also said was important. Time. So have you, so, uh, you know, Latin, of course, is a big part of, you know, classical education, and there's the whole contemporary Christian classical education movement. Um, How do you see kind of Charlotte Mason relating to that whole movement? Have you thought about it much, or is that not an area you've given too much thought to? Oh, I've thought about it a lot, because I have um, in my 
one of my homeschool, I have multiple homeschool communities, right? But one of my local homeschool communities, um, classical conversations is a big thing that a lot of them are in. And it's been hard because they have quite a community there and I'm not a part of that. Um, and so I have thought about it a lot, especially when my children were younger. And so when people, I've, a, I've been asked that so many times about Charlotte Mason and classical, and I just say that it depends on what you think of as classical education. So if you're talking about the trivium and things being rooted in Greek and Latin and philosophy and all that, then I say, no, this is a departure because that doesn't scream freedom. And Charlotte mm -hmm. Mason's principles, mm -hmm. they scream freedom, like on a megaphone. And mm -hmm. so those, in that case, then if we're talking about that, then I see these as being vastly different. I mean, really, if I want to be obnoxious, I could say extremely different, but I won't mm -hmm. be obnoxious. I'll just say they're mm -hmm. very different. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking, if you're, the word really is classic versus yeah classical, yeah. then, you know, when you think of classic, you think of something that, you know, has established value. It's recognized yes. and has established mm -hmm. value. Then in yeah. that case, I say, oh, yes, that she transcends trends. It's like a tongue twister. She transcends yes. trends. So in yes. that case, then, oh, absolutely. This is classic, but yes. it's not the traditional classical, you know, viewpoint of education, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that there, again, we kind of get at that universal and the particulars, you know, because I think, um, you know, classical education centers around, you know, Latin and particular Latin, especially, but also Greek as being this sort of mandatory spine. And if that's just not the only lens by which we can receive the classics, you know, and, and Charlotte Mason was very clear in saying that uh, there's plenty of English language classics that we can go to. We don't need to, to hold up, you know, the the Latin canon as being the best. We don't need to do that. And in fact, you know, she was quick to point out that um, that it, that that actually, if there's anything that has the claim to be the greatest literature of all, it's the Hebrew and Greek scriptures. Amen. You know, I think another aspect of that is that any time that we venture to establish that a child must master anything, fill in the blank, in order to be real or successful or do what is not disappointing to us, then I think we run into a place that's counter Charlotte Mason because every child isn't going to do that. Every child's right. not going to read in Latin. I don't care how many years you study it. Every child won't do that. We have different right. bents and strengths and things. And so as soon as you lay before me an ideal that yeah. is like a, this place that you're telling me this child is getting to, like they're going to spend these years doing this because they're going to get to this. And they're going to spend these years doing this to get to this. And I just wonder, what about the children who don't and yeah. won't? Then- yeah. Where does that leave us? And so I feel like that, uh, you know, with a Charlotte Mason education, we can certainly have goals. That's no problem. But when you're really looking at each child individually, um, I wouldn't want to start out on a path that has a certain specific end goal that is a goal that everyone can't necessarily meet, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes so much sense. And it's something that, you know, it's a lesson I had to learn with my children was to adapt to their own interest level and pace and, and not try to make them give them mastery of a certain subject that was just not 
for them. And so you're, you're, uh, you're talking about, um, you know, Charlotte Mason method rings freedom. And uh, that, that reminds me of um, when Charlotte Mason in the opening pages of Home Education, she quotes F.D. Maurice, who said, the woman receives from the spirit of God himself, the intuitions into the child's character, the capacity of appreciating its strengths and its weaknesses, the faculty of calling forth the one and sustaining the other, in which lies the mystery of education apart from which all its rules and measures are utterly vain and ineffectual. Mm. So does that, does that statement ring true for you? And, and what can, what are some of the ways that uh, can you think of other ways that the Holy spirit has given you nudges and how to direct how you educate your children? That's such a powerful statement. I could like sit with that for such a long time. I think that um, one that just the fact that it's starting with the woman receives from the spirit of God himself. And I think, you know, earlier on, you asked me what was missing for me early on. That's what was missing for me. Me. (laughs) I took me out of the equation, Mm -hmm. the power that I bring to this home and to this school table. um, And that power is not my own. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit in me. But these children are, I'm their mother for a reason, right? I didn't choose them and they didn't choose me. And so I assume then that these are the right, I'm in the right place. And if that's the case, and he's given me this power, um, the intuitions into the child's character, oh my, who can do that more than a mother? Wow, I can't, I can't even think the capacity of appreciating its strengths and weaknesses. And so when I read that, I just think uh, to myself, I hear, I hear a lot of beauty, but I also hear a lot of responsibility. The responsibility is great, but the freedom with freedom comes responsibility. That makes sense, right? Don't we tell our children that the, the more responsible they are, the more freedom they have. Well, she, she's given us very much that freedom, but along with it, it comes the responsibility that we are going to take on to do what, um, what needs to be done for the child that's been placed in front of us. Not the child we were, not the child our friend has, or not even the child you already had, but this child right now. And um, I think that's just, it's such a high calling. It's, it could be scary, but when I know that who has my back, then I think I, I don't have a reason to be afraid. That's, that's wonderful. So maybe as we, maybe as we kind of draw to a close, um, let's say that there's a mother who's listening to this who wants to try to maybe deviate from the rule or the packaged curriculum or the, you know, doing what everyone else is doing. You know, what, what's kind of, first, what's one piece of advice that you would give to that mom? And then secondly, for everyone else in the Charlotte Mason community who's looking at, you know, people like you who are charting your own course, doing things differently, rearranging the artists and the, and the, and the poets and, and adding that, that secret sauce. What, what advice do you have for, for everyone in the community who's seeing that to be more affirming when that goes on? Um, well, I'll start with the mother. And I think I would say that to one thing, you, the very first step would be to drop the fear put it in a suitcase and drop it off at the train depot. Because Mm -hmm. when you're afraid, it makes it hard to think straight and it makes it hard to feel good about the decisions that you have. You have no reason to fear because ultimately there's probably nothing that you, there's no book you can choose that will do irreparable damage. 
no mm -hmm. damage that the Lord cannot heal or fix. So it's okay. You're not going to ruin them. And I would just say, just take a first step. You don't need to try to change everything all at once, but think of who you are and uh, what makes you, you. What do you think of when you think of a, a good childhood memory or something you heard or you feel that makes you feel like this is my heritage and everyone has one. This is who I am. And then find a way to share that what you feel with your child. It may start with just a song. It may be just a poem, you know, forget mm -hmm, a whole term. Mm -hmm. It may be just a poem mm -hmm. and a song, or maybe it's just a book, a book that you read when you were a girl and you, you felt that you were in the book, that book right there, that maybe you read that aloud. So I think that starting with where, who you are and also not to leave behind our mothers who have children that they've adopted from other cultures because your culture and what you have may not be your child's. But I would say then you have the bicultural job, right? You have the job of finding and digging in for who your child, your child's biological culture. That's important. But don't feel like you can't share yours too. You're the mama. You're, you're, you're his or her mama too. And they need both right? The, the family they're being raised in and the family that they biologically come from. They need the, both of those things. So I would say just get started, start small and drop the fear. Don't be afraid. And then for the rest of the Charlotte Mason community, I think that the community is never not welcoming, um, but it feels like you have to be very brave to walk in. And once you do the brave thing and you get in, it's very, it feels very good, but it's hard for some moms to do the brave thing. And so what would be gracious and hospitable for us is to meet them outside hmm. versus staying inside and waiting for them to come in. Say, we're welcome. You're welcome here. No, let's go outside and get them hmm. and say, come on, come in here with me. And that's hmm. what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to come outside and say, Hey girl, I see you over there. I have something I want to share with you. It looks like it might not work for you, but I'm going to teach you how it will work. And when you come inside, I promise you, you'll love it. So are there, like, I'm imagining a lot of people listening here will, will say within their own minds exactly what you said. Um, well, I, I, of course I'm welcoming. I would never turn anyone away. So what, what should I be doing differently? I'm See. sure that that's kind of the thought that I, that I've had, you know, yeah. but why, why would you, you know, Amber, what could I possibly, you know, are you telling me that I've never turned anyone away? I've never been, mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is that, that there's something more than just not rejecting people. Cause that's yeah. like a net, that's a negative. And it sounds to me like you're saying that there's, that there's more than we can do than just, than just not reject people. There's something that we can do to be outwardly inviting. And so can you share with us some ideas on how we in the Charlotte Mason community can be more inviting so that it doesn't require that bravery and that boldness for those to take the first step to join us? Yeah. So several things, you know, when we're presenting something and saying that this is a Charlotte Mason thing, if you really feel like all families are welcome, sometimes you have to say it. And it may not be with words. It may be with like, I've been to conferences where we've done picture study. It may be advertising the picture that's going to be studied at the conference, the picture of the conference of the year or whatever. And that it has someone that is brown or black, or it has someone who isn't traditionally 
beautiful in some way or something. I don't know. I, I am looking, I am definitely looking through a lens of, you know, being a black person because that's the path that led me to this, but it could be anything. Maybe it's from another country. Maybe it's someone who's dressed differently. I don't know. Um, so it's leaving, um, using pictures and singing songs that that person may be familiar with. And honestly, at a conference, it's when you're putting up all the pictures of the speakers, if every one of those pictures looks exactly the same, it feels like that's not for me. And you can say that it shouldn't feel that way. I get it. You can mm. say, well, if you just come, it'll be okay. But you mm. can't plan and operate on what should be or what you wish was, but you have to deal with the here and now of what is. And what is, is that if I don't see anyone else like me, it feels like it's not for me. So I think having speakers, diverse speakers, and that diversity doesn't just mean racial and ethnic diversity. I mean, speakers who have children who have autism mm. and speakers who have, you know, uh, maybe a, a family where the, the father is not there, you know, the, the earthly father is, is not present and, and that they're speaking into people's lives and that they're there and telling their stories, all different types of things it could be, but that that is out there. Um, I think with the curriculum, having um, an understanding that everyone isn't just you know the same and that we need to have books that reflect different people and different cultures because that's what makes people feel seen so allowing me to sit there i mean you didn't kick me out but you didn't put anything out at the table like i'm vegetarian my family is vegetarian so you can say we can come eat at your house but if you only fix barbecue <laughs> then you know you you didn't kick me out but you didn't really invite me. This wasn't really for me. Um, and so I, I guess I'm asking people to not just accept, be accepting of who el whoever walks in the door, but yeah, to do that extra work, put in the extra thought that what will this, who will this attract if I put this here? And it doesn't mean that I'm expecting everyone to change everything and to be totally different because you know what? It doesn't take very much. It's just a very little drop, but we see it because when you're hungry for something, you're thirsty, you see that little drop and you're like, Ooh, they just made a little drop. Maybe I should go. Mm. So, so that makes total sense. Um, I love your vegetarian example. I, I'm vegetarian as well. Um, I guess what, so, so your example of the picture study is a good one. So you said, okay, maybe you're planning an event and you say, well, here, here's the picture that here's the main picture that's going to be our theme for the conference. And um, what, what would you say to a, a, a conference organizer or something who'd say, well, you know, I don't want to, just pick a picture just because, you know, I don't want to pick a, pick a picture that has a black person in it just, just because that doesn't feel authentic. How, how would you respond to that? Well, I think the, to me, the inauthentic part would be like putting out a message about it. We picked this black picture <laughs> because we are standing in support of black homeschoolers everywhere. Like that's yeah. weird. But to yeah. me, if you just picked a black picture, first of all, I'm going to be in my house doing like a happy dance. I'm probably going to wake my husband up, right? He loves that. <laughs> baby, baby, look. Oh my goodness. Because it's exciting. Because what I see, I don't see that you just made a little token decision. What mm -hmm. I see is that you had high standards that I know you have because we have yeah. those in CM world. And within those high standards, you found something beautiful that could speak to the soul of someone else. 
And that just, and it, to me, it doesn't have to be me. I mean, I said a black picture, but if I saw you doing anything different, I would feel the same way. And I would just say, yes, that's it. No one's asking you to go pick something ugly or yes. that's yes. not relevant, irrelevant, yes. you know, something that's irrelevant because that's inauthentic. What I'm asking is to pick, to work harder that maybe it's not the first thing that comes to your mind, but you know what? It, it would be the first thing that came to my mind. So maybe that's a time when you might ask for help for some, you know, from someone else for something. And that's what I'm talking about. You know, like the voices and the people doing everything shouldn't all be the same because yeah, that might be hard. I'm asking you to go see beauty in something you've never seen beauty in, but you could ask me and I could show you it's beautiful. But I also have found that when people do uncomfortable things, they tell me they don't know. I don't know what black picture to put pick. And then I go over to their home and I'm like, that's stunning. It's mm. perfect. You mm. know, you don't, you don't have confidence in yourself, but, oh, you know, it's beautiful. It was perfect what you did. It was so good. And sometimes even in the imperfection, I just still feel welcome. Like you made that yucky vegetarian mm. casserole. I'm thinking I would never make that mushy rice casserole, but you know what? The fact that you made something that yeah. isn't in your wheelhouse that you don't normally do because I was a guest in your home oh my, come on, I will eat that casserole and oh, I'll be sweet. happy about it because I just feel that you saw me. And I think that's what people really want more than anything is to be seen and noticed and acknowledged. And that's it. That's so, that's so true. And I, I, I hear two themes from, what you're, from your answer. I think one theme is, we, you know, like, like I said earlier, Charlotte Mason is about a liberal education and liberal means broad. We need to stretch our horizons. And if it feels inauthentic to share a black artist, then be more liberal and get to know some black artists. That's it. Right. So that yeah. it becomes authentic, you know, yeah. and uh, and find find that beauty. And let's not stay in our own kind of narrow tracks with our own favorite limb. You know, here are my five artists that I just always go to. That's not really being authentic. Charlotte Mason. Yeah, and I and there's one other aspect of exactly what you said um, that I want to add, and that is in the place where we are in our lives. For a lot of us, we have homes full of small children, and you know we're trying to be a, a wife and a mother, and we're homeschooling, and and our hands are our hearts, everything's so full. And as I know for me, I look out at all the things that are happening in the world and in our nation. And sometimes I feel so sad that I can't do more, that I'm not out there on the front lines, like trying to, you know, elicit change. And it's like I vote and I barely can get my behind to do that for the day. I'm just out there struggling just to vote, you know? And I'm thinking, what am I adding to this? Like, how come, you know, why am I not helping? And I feel like this is one area where homeschool families can really help. Like you can help with the pain and the problems that are happening um, around us because one way that you could just do your part is say like in my world, in the world I'm in, this little homeschool world or in my little home, I'm going to choose to do something differently. And I'm going to choose to build those bonds and do that extra work to pull someone in. And the reason why it's so important is that a lot of, I believe, I think we all believe like on some level that home education is a, a beautiful thing, at the very least a great option. But for a lot of families, a lot of the, the painful things that they experience would be very much um, not alleviated, but lessened by home education. 
And so by making an inviting space for new families to become home educators and pull their babies out of the fray and into the safety and beauty of their homes, you're actually, it's a form of activism, I feel. And I mm -hmm. feel like you're, you're actually doing something to change the, the, a child's life. That's huge. Like that's so much bigger than even some of the things that are getting so much loud attention. And so I feel like this is a place where a mom in your home with your babies and your husband and your, your sweet books and everything that you can do these little small things that could change someone else's life. And that's huge. Um, so I think, I guess I'm just saying like, it's more than just, I'm not just asking you to be nice or to go out of your way just to do it because it makes me feel good. But I think it's bigger than us. And I think that you have the opportunity just right where you say, they say bloom where you're planted. You have the opportunity to bloom right where you're planted by doing some of these things. What a great, inspiring perspective there. And I think it really rings true when Charlotte Mason talks about how we have a responsibility to our country, to our nation, and to our world. And uh, you're pointing us all to a path where, where we can make a difference in our, in our context. And I think so many things that you've shared, I think, are going to be very inspiring and very challenging to people. And I'm sure that, uh, that everyone, many of us will want to know where they can go to learn more and to hear more about your perspective. And so I would point them to, to uh, heritagemom.com. And maybe you can just tell a, a, a moment about what kinds of things people can expect to find at your website. Sure. I try to share a little bit about my life to allow it to be a little bit of a window where people maybe who aren't familiar with African-American culture, and maybe you live somewhere where you don't have, you know, black friends. Like I, and a little bit, I feel like my website is a little bit of your friend. Like, let me show you what are some of the, you know, some of the things that make me, me. Um, but in addition to that, I specifically show ways that you can introduce more um, multicultural, but a lot of focus on Black and African history for your children. And I have two types of readers. For some people, they're coming to my website for mirrors. Their other children, their children are like my children. And that's great. And some people are coming to my website for the windows because they want to be able to provide that in an authentic way. And that's great too. So lots of book lists, book recommendations, um, just thoughts. And a lot of what we're talking about today, you know, recently I posed the question on there, is Charlotte Mason for black children? Like, let's talk about that. So I think I'm trying to get the conversation going in a safe way where we don't have to worry about getting yelled at or saying the wrong thing, but it's just a space for us to talk through these things. Wonderful, wonderful. And so uh, everybody, you know, please check out heritagemom.com, join into the conversation, whether it's a mirror or a window. I think you'll be blessed with, with what you see there. And we'll find some great also suggestions about resources to include in your curriculum, regardless of what kind of family you are, um, things to include and ways to enrich what you're offering. So Amber, thank you for your service to the community. Thank you for speaking up. Thank you for overcoming the challenges and sticking with Charlotte Mason. And thank you for taking the time with us today to share so much inspiration and just clarity. It's just been wonderful. I appreciate it so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was really exciting. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program. 